Mark chapter 8 this morning, please. Mark chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Father God, I pray for this passage. Lord, there's so much here. We could speak for hours on this, and we're just going to touch on a few points. And so I pray you'd speak to our hearts today and help us as we think through these things. Lord, this is serious. Jesus was really uh, discussing where the rubber meets the road here. And I pray that we'll see that. And I pray it will be applied to all of our hearts. Holy Spirit, speak to all of us. Help help me. Fill me with, 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 with the Spirit and uh, enable me to preach today with clarity and accuracy. I pray, Lord, as I always pray, that you'd help me to say everything I ought to and nothing I ought not, and uh, that you would just grant today uh, a word that would be of help, eternal help, to everyone in this building. And we pray it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. When we left uh, off in our studies of, of Mark chapter 8, we had heard Jesus ask a question. You perhaps remember the question, who do you say that I am, in verse number 29. And we heard Peter's marvelous answer that uh, you are the Christ. Or as Matthew added, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we talked about the fact that this may well be the most important question that's ever been asked in the history of the world. I I think perhaps it is. Uh, It's one we must all consider. Who is Jesus? And what am I going to do about Jesus? One man said sooner or later the impact of the message of Christ is made on the soul of every man and woman. His claims are inescapable, and whether we like it or not, we all do something with Jesus. And so that's where we left it. He had asked this question. It was ringing in the air. Peter's response was ringing in the air, and then Peter's misunderstanding of things thereafter was still ringing in the air. And then once all of this had taken place, uh, and once his claim of being the Christ was was it made clearly and and, and, and stated, Jesus began now to discuss the ramifications of that answer. The fact that Jesus is the Christ meant some things. It meant some things to him, for example. It meant that he must die. And he, from this point on now, begins talking about that. As a matter of fact, as we see uh, in, uh, in, 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 the, in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see that from now on, that's going to be his primary teaching, teaching that fact in earnest, hammering it home, speaking plainly about the fact that he must go to the cross and die. Warren Wiersbe wrote, from this point on, Mark will focus on their journey to Jerusalem, and the emphasis will be on Jesus' approaching death and resurrection. So it meant something to him. But that fact that Jesus is the Christ means something to you and I, as well as to him. It means that we must follow him. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse number 34. That's the ramifications to you and I and to everyone else. We must follow him. 
Follow me is an interesting phrase. It's a, it's a phrase that's repeated often in the Gospels. I read one place, and I, I didn't validate this, but I read one place that said it is the phrase Jesus used more than any other. I don't know if that's true or not. It'd be a good study. Josh, why don't you look that up and let us know if that's really true. But he definitely used it a lot. He used it a lot. Follow me is a phrase repeated often. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men in Matthew 4.19. Matthew 8.22, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Matthew 9, 9, follow me. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Matthew 19, 21, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. John chapter 1, verse 43, the following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. In John 10:27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. John 12:26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. John thirteen thirty six. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. In John twenty one nineteen, this he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And that's just a few. We could go with many others. Follow me is a component of discipleship. In our text, in this passage that we read this morning, Jesus was not discussing salvation. We know salvation is uh, purely an act of grace, a, a work of God's grace, without works. By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's not what he's talking about here. He was explaining what salvation looks like when lived out. In a, in, in a life for Christ. He's describing discipleship. The Greek word mathetes, which according to Vine's uh, dictionary of New Testament words, means one who follows one's teaching. A follower. A learner. And his explanation here showed two sides to that discipleship. I don't know if you notice it here. There's two things he mentions here. We're to deny ourselves, and we're to follow him. He had said something similar about salvation. He had said salvation has two sides. Back in Mark chapter 1 and verse number 15, it involved repent and believe. Repenting and believing. So two sides to that, now two sides to, to a discipleship, deny and follow. So I want to build on that just a little bit this morning and think through those thoughts. And I want us to notice, first of all, today that uh, the life of a disciple involves saying no to self, denying yourself. The life of a disciple involves saying yes to Jesus Christ. And then I want to add something to it, which is in our text. It's just not obvious. I'll show it to you in a moment. But um, I want us to notice also that it involves doing that every day. So saying no to self, saying yes to Christ, and doing it every day. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. So, in other words, discipleship requires self-denial. Now, as we consider that thought, we have to we have to consider we have to think about that for a few minutes. Let's 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 start by slaying a few common misconceptions about what that might mean. What is not meant by this self-denial? Deny yourself. For example, Jesus' instructions to deny yourself does not mean that you deny who you are or that you change who you are or you change your personality in any way. We learned way back in our earliest Sunday school days, at least those of us who had parents who took us to Sunday school, we learned way back then 
that God made each of us unique, and God made each of us just the way he wants us. Remember that little song? I don't know if you remember it or not. God made you special. You're the only one of your kind. Uh, I don't think that Jesus is here saying one, not even for a moment, that uh, we deny ourselves and try to become something that we are not. You know, this is something that preachers struggle with. Preachers believe that they have to become sometimes something that they are not. When I went off to Bible college and, and went to Midwestern Baptist College, the, the pastor there, the head of the school at that time, was named Tom Malone. And he had this gravelly, weird voice, and he had this particular way of preaching. And every preacher boy, as we called them, that went through Midwestern Baptist College at that time, tried desperately to imitate that. And they'd stand up there. They'd have, his, his voice was the way it was because he had had some kind of illness. And, and it, they would try to imitate that particular thing. God doesn't want us to imitate anybody else. He's not trying to get us to deny who we are. He wants us to be exactly what, we, what he made us to be. There's another thing it does not mean. It does not mean that you deny yourself things. Deny yourself is not Jesus trying to get us to live some kind of an ascetic lifestyle. There are monks and nuns who vow to live lives of self-deferation and poverty. Our Amish neighbors shun modern conveniences in favor of a simpler lifestyle. And, And there's nothing wrong with those kinds of lifestyles. As a matter of fact, there's much to be commended in them, but that is not what Jesus is talking about here. That's not what he's describing. To put it plainly, Jesus was talking about taking self off the throne of your life. The New Living Translation even renders it that way. Verse 34, it renders deny himself as turn from your selfish ways. One man said self-denial is not to deny one's personality, to die as a martyr, or to deny things as in asceticism. Rather, it is the denial of self, turning away from the idolatry of self-centeredness and every attempt to orient one's life by the dictates of self-interest. It means saying no to self. That means we no longer live for our bodies. Paul said, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. He said to the Galatians, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We no longer live for this flesh. It also means, saying no to self also means that we no longer live according to our own will. In Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine. That's the model. He modeled there what he had earlier taught when he taught his disciples how to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So discipleship involves, first of all, saying no to self. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And then he went on and he said, and take up his cross and follow me. And so it's saying no to self and it's saying yes to Jesus. Discipleship not only requires self-denial, it also requires obedience. And now again, Jesus' words here elicit some questions, don't they? They make us ask ourselves some questions. What, for example, does take up his cross and follow me mean? What does it mean? Does taking up his cross describe the various troubles and trials of life? And and, and how many of you have ever heard somebody use it that way? Well, that's just my cross to bear. We've all, we've probably all said it at one time or another. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Some inconvenient situation that we deal with in life? That's just my cross to bear. Is that what he means? That's not what he means. 
The cross referred to here is not synonymous with the trials and tribulations of life. And even if you insisted on, on defining it that way, and some people do, even if you insisted on defining it that way, you better read the whole passage, and you better recognize what all Jesus is saying in addition to that. He said in verse number 35 that whatever the cross was, it was something that was for his sake and the gospel's. What trials do you have in your life that are a direct result of trying to live for Jesus Christ? We had prayer breakfast just yesterday, and we had a fellow who listed a prayer request. He prayed for the persecuted church, and he talked at some length about some of the things that people in the persecuted church are dealing with. They might be able to say that. They might be able to say that some of their trials uh, are something that is done for the the cross of Christ and the gospel. Can we? I doubt many of us in this room could really say that most of the things or, 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 or many of the things that we're going through in our life are as a direct result of following Christ. Hughes wrote this. He said, difficulties are not an indication of cross-bearing. Difficulties for Christ's sake are. We need to ask ourselves if we have any difficulties because we are following close after Christ. There's always going to be trials in the Christian life. The Christian life is filled with trials. James said, my brethren, count it all joy when, notice not if, when you fall into various trials. James chapter 1 and verse number 2. We've seen it all down through the history of the church. It happened to Paul. It happened to Peter. It happened to Job. It happened to Nehemiah. It happened to Joseph. I mean, who, do we, who did it not happen to in the Bible? And it certainly happened to our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. There's always going to be trials in the Christian life. And so we as Christians have to learn to accept them, and we as Christians need to learn to get through them like a good soldier. That's what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.3. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The Lord has brought me through two really bad trials in my life. Some of you have lived with me through those two things. Of course, the first was when my son almost died of cancer. And anybody who would see Joshua today, yesterday we went to uh, their church and, and uh, watched as uh, Jericho, who is now three, and Josephine, who's not one yet, uh, were dedicated to the Lord, and I just sat there and marveled. Because not very long ago, that man was dead, and we were convinced of it. But the Lord brought us through that, and now we rejoice and we see that. And then, of course, the second was the, the untimely death of my wife, and yet the Lord has also brought me another wonderful wife. And so he's brought me through both of those things. But I remember uh, when I was still grieving over the loss of Beth, we were having something here. We were having some kind of a work day. I can't remember what it was. And my phone rang. And I answered it. And it was uh, Don Davies. Don Davies, who's a pastor down at the chapel in Marlboro. He had preached her funeral, and he had been a friend through the whole thing. And he called me every once in a while just to see how I was. And he called me this day, and he said, Bill, I just want to see how you were. And I knew the minute I heard his voice that I was going to get upset. So I excused myself, and I went outside. And I'm walking around the parking lot talking to him on the phone. And he said, I came across this verse this morning that I thought might help you. And he read that verse to me, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3. You, therefore, must endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He said, I don't know why. I just thought that might help you today. And you know, it did. It really did. And I still, to this day, I still remember and think about that every once in a while, how much that helped me. You see, we are promised, we are not promised a life devoid of trials. We are promised a life of trials as believers. 
And so we must accept them as God's will and get through them like God's soldier. And understanding those things enables us to rejoice. As James said, we can rejoice even in the midst of trials in James chapter 1, verse number 2. Trials will always be a part of the Christian life. But trials are not what Jesus was discussing here when he was talking about our cross to bear. Rather, the cross referred to here is describing obedience to God's will for your life. Here's, here's what one man said about this. He said, the picture of the cross brought to mind the sight of a condemned man who was forced to demonstrate his submission to Rome by carrying part of his cross through the city to his place of execution. Thus, to take up one's cross was to demonstrate publicly one's submission and obedience to the authority against which he had previously rebelled. In other words, it means saying yes to Jesus. It describes obedience to him. It describes taking self off the throne of our life and putting God there instead. One man said, Jesus' submission to God's will is the proper response to God's claim over self's claim. For him, it meant death on the cross. Those who follow him must take up their cross, not his cross, their cross, whatever comes to them in God's will as a follower of Jesus. This does not mean suffering as he did or being crucified as he was, nor does it mean stoically bearing life's troubles. Rather, it is obedience to God's will as revealed in his word, accepting the consequences without reservations for Jesus' sake in the gospel. For some, this includes physical suffering and even death, as history has demonstrated. So discipleship involves saying no to self, and it also involves saying yes to Jesus. And then I would like to add to that that it also means doing that every day. Now, where we get that from this text is a little bit, uh, we have to dig a little deeper. We have to dig into the Greek to see that in this text. Follow me in the, in the Greek in which our, our New Testament was originally written. Follow me is a present imperative. We could more accurately render it as keep following me. Keep. Follow me and keep following me. But we see it even more clearly in Luke's account of this. This, this particular little discussion that Jesus had here uh, is mentioned in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of the synoptics. And Luke said this, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So if you don't get what I'm saying from the Greek, there it's pretty clear. Take up your cross daily. And follow me. And so the discipleship involves saying no to self and saying yes to Jesus and doing it every single day. Discipleship requires self-denial and obedience. It also requires never giving up and never quitting on Jesus. Discipleship is an everyday thing. We deny self every day. We say yes to Jesus every day. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, let me just mention one other thing here and kind of wrap this thing up. I want us to notice that Jesus asked a couple of thought-provoking questions then. And I think he asked these questions to cement this thought in the minds of those who were listening. In verse number 36, he said, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul. 
I think there he was describing two ways that we have to live. We can live for the now, or we can live for the future. We can live with a temporal perspective, or we can live with an eternal perspective. We can live for this life, or we can live for the next. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I read this, and I, I don't know if this is true or not. I, it was stated as true. Maybe some of you history buffs would know whether or not this is true or not. But here's what I read. 180 years after the death of Charlemagne, in about the year 1000, officials of the Emperor Otho opened the great king's tomb where they found an amazing sight apart from all the treasures that were there. What they saw was this, the skeletal remains of the king seated on a throne, the crown still upon his skull, a copy of the Gospels lying in his lap with his bony finger resting on this text. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? I find that amazing, if it's really true. J.C. Ryle said, let these sayings of our Lord sink deep into our hearts. May we remember them in the hour of temptation when the soul seems a small and unimportant thing and the world seems very bright and great. May we remember them in the hour of persecution when we are tried by the fear of other people and are half inclined to desert Christ. In times like these, let us call to mind this mighty question of our Lord and repeat it to ourselves. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? You have one of those, you know. Matter of fact, you are one of those. You have and are a soul. There is more to you than meets the eye. And that soul is the real you. That soul is the part of you which will live forever in one of two places, heaven or hell. And so Jesus is saying here, you can live your life with self on the throne of your life or with Christ on the throne. Warren Wiersbe asked, is there any reward for the person who is a true disciple? Yes, there is. He becomes more like Jesus Christ and one day shares in his glory. Satan promises you glory, but in the end you receive suffering. God promises you suffering, but in the end that suffering is transformed into glory. If we acknowledge Christ and live for Christ, he will one day acknowledge us and share his glory with us. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Discipleship involves saying no to self, saying yes to Christ, and doing it every day.